It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio and also Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It's Wednesday the 27th of April for 2022. Coming up in just a moment, Tony Alexander, the economist, is back to talk about where the New Zealand property is heading. And I'll tell you what, we need need to really pay a lot of attention with the cash rate rise and mortgage rate rises there in New Zealand because for Australia it is like looking into the future with New Zealand being ahead in their timeline which is likely to be similar here when we catch up to it. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au. Okay, let's have a look at the weather forecast. And for Sydney, expecting a few showers today, a high of 23 degrees. Melbourne, partly cloudy with 22. Brisbane, one or two showers expected with 25. And in Perth, a possible morning storm with some showers today and a high of 21 degrees. Across every state, city and town of Australia, the real estate podcast. Well, if you've been following the defamation trial that Johnny Depp has brought against his ex-wife Amber Heard, it got a whole lot more personal with a forensic psychologist believing Heard has two potential personality disorders yesterday. Psychologist Shannon Curry told the court that Heard had borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder and that the actress was full of rage. It can lead to someone going out of their way to seek approval or being over-dramatic and over-emotional, she told the court. I tell you what, despite what is true and what isn't, the damage really has been done for Amber Heard, with some film industry commentators saying that she will never likely work on a film set again because producers will find her too much of a liability. So Johnny Depp has managed to inflict some real monetary future earnings pain on Amber Heard's career. We feature market updates, interviews and trends. It's your real estate podcast for breakfast. And we are talking to Tony Alexander again, a New Zealand economist. Good morning, Tony. Good to get you back on the Real Estate Podcast. Yeah, it's good to be back here again, Craig. Certainly it was fun last time around, so let's see what happens this time. How's that apartment of yours? Are you still in Australia or have you gone back to New Zealand? Yeah, no, I'm actually still here. You see, uh, my wife and I, we came across uh, together for uh, two weeks. And as we're getting towards the end of the two weeks, I said, you know, I'd, I still don't have any physical presentations back in New Zealand for a while. So I'd like to stick around for another two weeks and, and then looking forward to coming back again about another five to six weeks down the track. Uh, Sounds good. Now, I wanted to talk to you about risk adverse. Now, it used to be that pre-COVID, somebody, let's say when they were turning 50, might take a punt and start a new business. Now, I've got a few friends of mine who are in their 40s. I've known them a long time, very successful in their own right. They're now starting to play the conservative card. How much of a problem is this likely, do you think, for countries like Australia and New Zealand where suddenly people are starting to be very conservative on the business front? 
Well, it's certainly going to be a problem if things remain that way. But when you actually look at the data, certainly back in New Zealand, there's been an increase in new business formation over the past couple of years as people have looked to supplement their income. They've looked to dive more deeply in what they can do over the internet, using social media for marketing purposes, etc. going into the gig economy. So we've seen a sort of a bit of a shift uh, that way. But in terms of some caution just creeping in there, I think maybe we can attribute some of that to the fact that running a business these days has become exceptionally difficult. The way you'd run your business in the past, you know, a couple of hundred years would be, uh, I will secure more customers. You do your advertising, you work out your branding, you, you do all of that, you secure customers. And after you've done that, then you go to the bank for the finance, then you find maybe expanded commercial premises, then you find your staff, then you find your uh, materials, your raw materials, you get your supply chains in order. If you do that this time around now, you're going to come unstuck and probably are going to fail. You have to change your business orientation to figuring out, well, uh, what is my ability to retain and get staff? Um, how are the supply chains looking? Can I actually be supplied with the materials, the services uh, that I want there? I've got to talk to the bank early on. Will they be able to provide the finance uh, there? Are the commercial premises available? There's been a lot of demand out there, a lot of shifts. Figure all of that out and then figure out what sort of growth, what level of output you're going to be able to sustain. And for people that are already in business, often the answer is, do you know, I can't even maintain my current level of output with the timeliness of delivery and the quality of service and, and product quality that I want out there. And certainly in New Zealand, for many businesses, the answer is cut their output and focus on their highest yielding clients, products, production locations, distribution methods, etc. It's a newly challenging environment now. Yeah, and having a look at the housing market, you have a monthly survey of real estate agents in partnership with the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand, which showed increasing weakness in the real estate market there. FOMO, you say, has gone from the economy and it's a buyer's market. Yeah, I can use the survey to tell what's uh, happening in the market or, or catch the turning points in the market one to two months ahead of the other day data, especially from some of the other organisations um, out there. And when I set the survey up from about April or so 2020, when New Zealand was in its uh, first lockdown, I introduced a range of questions based on a previous version I had uh, about 10 years earlier. And yes, I, I include in there, are you seeing FOMO on the part of buyers, fear of missing out? And back in April of 2020, 35% of the real estate agents said they could see some FOMO. You know, people were still had watched prices in New Zealand rise strongly for a period of time. The market was accelerating going into the pandemic in New Zealand. And so they saw FOMO. That FOMO peaked at around 90% uh, and the frenzy for property buying in New Zealand was between August of 2020 through to February of 2021. Then we had some tax changes from the government, et cetera. But back in October, we still had, in the likes of, say, Auckland, our biggest city, 79% of agents, they still saw FOMO. Now it's only 5%. FOMO has basically gone to be replaced by FOOP. F-O-O-P, fear of overpaying. Back in October, only 19, 19% of agents around New Zealand said that they thought buyers were worried that they would pay too much, you know, buy and prices would fall. Now it's 64%. Things have turned on a dime in the New Zealand uh, housing market over the past few months. 
Yeah, and on that point, tell us a little bit about how the banks in New Zealand are stress testing borrowers at an interest rate of 3.5% above what they are borrowing at. What is that telling banks at the moment? Yeah, what well, we in New Zealand we don't have the similar sort of regime. I think the RBA or APRA can set the minimum test rate or the margin above the rate the bank is lending at. We don't yet have that in place in New Zealand. But for the past decade or so, if a person has gone to the bank looking to borrow and the starting rate is four percent, the bank has usually worked out can they service an interest rate three, you know, three and a half percent above that. So even last year when we saw some people locking in a one-year fixed mortgage rate at two point one nine percent, now they're rolling off, you know into 4.5% or so, they had to work out the ability to pay something like, you know, maybe 6%, 6.5%, quite frankly, uh, for some of them. That's served us well, I think, in New Zealand. Now that we've got interest rates uh, rising, the mortgage rates, the fixed rates so far have increased about 2% from their lows of roughly a, a year ago. It means that people are going to be cutting back spending in other areas. It, it means that we're not going to be facing a housing market crash here in New Zealand. The debt servicing costs are rising, but people have already had to prove that they can uh, handle it. Instead, the bigger thing running through New Zealand is more of a credit crunch. It's not sort of the cost of the credit. It's the fact that banks have had new rules put on them by the government and by the Reserve Bank last year. And credit availability, it just shrank away tremendously last year from around about July and really tightened up in November, December. Slight easing at the moment, but that's a key cause of the turnaround in New Zealand's market. It's, It's been a credit crunch. And what about the property investors, Tony? Uh, Let's say somebody who bought two to three properties over the last few years, are they going to find themselves, do you think, a little bit exposed if rental levels can't keep pace? Because I think for Australia, looking at New Zealand, it's almost like looking into the future because Australia is behind New Zealand with the cash rate rises. Yeah, that's right. Different timings on different things. New Zealand's housing market since the middle of 2020 has been two to three, maybe four months ahead of Australia because our eradication strategy early on was strong and it worked. In terms of opening up the economy, we're maybe two months behind with the Omicron wave, um, etc. When we're looking at the investors who've made their purchases, generally in New Zealand, people take a long-term perspective. I do a survey, I do five monthly surveys. One of them is specifically of property investors and regularly 65% of them say they're going to hold their property for at least 10 years or they plan never to sell it. So they have a long-term focus out there. And one reason why we haven't seen a, a wave of selling of property in New Zealand by the investors, the buyers pulled back after some tax changes in March last year, but there's no wave of selling coming through. That's because there's a rental property shortage in New Zealand. Since the middle of the 1990s, not much entry-level housing has been built. The land prices were high, so big houses you know, tended to go on small sections. There's been a shortage, which continues, of normal rental accommodation. There's also a shortage of social housing, state housing. For the OECD, on average, 8% of the housing stock is social housing. In New Zealand, it's less than 4%. And that means that the government uh, agency responsible for providing the social housing is actively out there buying up property to rent out, etc., looking at contracting in uh, private sector investors with their rental properties. Rental pressure remains upward. So I don't think we're facing an environment where the investors are going to be saying, oh, I don't think I can get my rents up and yet my borrowing costs are up. I'm going to sell out. No, the rents are going to be rising maybe 6% per annum or so for the next couple of years. 
All right, Tony, some good advice there. So enjoy today over on the Gold Coast and look forward to talking to you at another time. Thanks for coming on to the Real Estate Podcast. Cheers, Craig. Thanks very much for having us on again. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast. 